0: Chapter 18 of *The Two Gun Man* by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. The dim trail. A shadow fell upon the rock. Ferguson turned his head and looked toward the west, where the sun had already descended over the mountains. "Why, it's sundown," he said, smiling into Miss Radford's eyes. I reckon the days must be getting shorter. The happy days are always short, she returned, blushing. He kissed her for this. For a while they sat, watching together the very colors swimming in the sky. They sat close together, saying little, for mere words are sometimes inadequate. In a little time the colors faded. The mountain peaks began to throw somber shades. Twilight gray and cold, settled suddenly into the flat. Then Miss Radford raised her head from Ferguson's shoulder and sighed. "'Time to go home,' she said. "'Yes, time,' he returned. "'I'm riding down that far with you.' They rose and clambered down the hillside, and he helped her into the saddle. Then he mounted Mustard and rode across the flat beside her. Darkness had fallen when they rode through the clearing near the cabin and dismounted from their ponies at the door. The light from the kerosene lamp shone in a dim stream from the kitchen door, and within they saw dishes on the table with cold food. Ferguson stood beside his pony while Miss Radford went in and explored the cabin. She came to the door presently, shading her eyes to look out into the darkness. "'Ben has been here and gone,' she said. He can't be very far away. Won't you come in? He laughed. I don't think I'll come in, he returned. This lover business is new to me, and I wouldn't want Ben to come back and catch me blushing and taking on. But he has to know, she insisted, laughing. Sure, he said, secure in the darkness. But you tell him. I won't she declared positively, stamping a foot. "'Then I reckon he won't get told,' he returned quietly. "'Well, then,' she said, laughing, "'I suppose that is settled.' She came out to the edge of the porch, away from the door, where the stream of light from within could not search them out, and there they took leave of one another, she going back into the cabin and he mounting mustard and riding away in the darkness. He was in high spirits— for he had much to be thankful for. As he rode through the darkness, skirting the cottonwood in the flat, he allowed his thoughts to wander. His refusal to enter the cabin had not been a mere whim. He intended on the morrow to seek out Ben and tell him. He had not wanted to tell him with her looking on to make the situation embarrassing for him. When he thought how she had fooled him by making it appear that she had led him on for the purpose of getting material for her love story, he was moved to silent mirth. But I certainly didn't see anything funny in it while she was putting it on, he told himself as he rode. He had not ridden more than a quarter of a mile from the cabin and was passing a clump of heavy shrubbery when a man rose suddenly out of the shadows beside the trail. Startled, Mustard reared, and then seeing that the apparition was merely a man, he came quickly down and halted, shaking his head sagely. Ferguson's right hand had dropped swiftly to his right holster, but was raised again instantly as the man's voice came cold and steady. "'Get your hands up! Quick!' Ferguson's hands were raised, but he gave no evidence of fear or excitement. Instead, he leaned forward, trying, in the dim light, to see the man's face. The latter still stood in the shadows, but now he advanced a little toward Ferguson, and the stray man caught his breath sharply but when he spoke, his voice was steady. Why, it's Ben Radford, he said. That's just who it is, returned Radford. I've been waiting for you. That's right clever of you, returned Ferguson, drawing his words a little. He was puzzled over this unusual occurrence, but his face did not betray this. You was wanting to see me then, he added. You're keen, returned Radford, sneering slightly. Ferguson's face reddened. "'I ain't no damn fool,' he said sharply. "'And I don't like holding my hands up like this. "'I reckon whatever you're going to do, you ought to do right quick.' "'I'm figuring to be quick,' returned Radford shortly. "'Catch hold of your guns with the tips of one finger and one thumb and drop em. "'Don't hit any rocks and don't try any monkey business.' He waited until Ferguson had dropped one gun, and then, knowing that the stray man usually wore two weapons— He continued sharply. I'm waiting for the other one. Ferguson laughed. And you'll be waiting a long time. There ain't any other one. Broke a spring yesterday and sent it over to Cimarron to get it fixed up. You can have it when it comes back, he added with a touch of sarcasm. If you're caring to wait that long. Radford did not reply, but came around to Ferguson's left side and peered at the holster. It was empty. Then he looked carefully at the stray man's waist for signs that a weapon might have been concealed between the waistband and the trousers in front. Then, apparently satisfied, he stepped back, his lips closed grimly. Get off your horse, he ordered. Ferguson laughed as he swung down. Anything to oblige your friend, he said mockingly. The two men were now not over a yard apart, and at Ferguson's word, Radford's face became inflamed with wrath. I don't think I'm a friend of yours, he sneered coldly. I ain't making friends with every damn sneak that crawls around the country aiming to shoot a man in the back. He raised his voice, bitter with sarcasm. You're thinking you're pretty slick, he said, that all you have to do in this country is hang around till you got a man where you want him and then bore him but you've got to the end of your rope. You ain't going to shoot anyone around here. I'm giving you a chance to say what you got to say, and then I'm going to fill you full of lead and plant you over in the cottonwood, in a place where no one will ever be able to find you, not even Stafford. I'd a shot you off your horse when you come around the bend,' he continued coldly. "'But I wanted you to know who was doing it, and that the man that did it knowed what you come here to do.' He poised his pistol menacingly. "You got anything to say?" he inquired. Ferguson looked steadily from the muzzle of the poised weapon to Radford's frowning eyes, then he smiled grimly. "Someone's been talkin'," he said evenly. He calmly crossed his arms over his chest, the right hand slipping carelessly under the left side of his vest. Then he rocked slowly back and forth on his heels and toes. "'Someone's been telling you a pack of lies,' he added. "'I reckon you wondered, if I was gonna shoot you in the back, "'that I ain't done it long ago. "'You're admitting I've had some chance.' "'Radford sneered. "'I ain't wondering why you ain't done it before,' he said. "'Maybe it's cause you're too white-livered. "'Maybe you thought you didn't see your chance. "'I ain't worried none about why you didn't do it. "'But you ain't gonna get another chance.' The weapon came to a foreboding level. Ferguson laughed grimly, but there was an ironic quality in his voice that caught Radford's ear. It seemed to Radford that the stray man knew that he was near death, and yet some particular phase of the situation appealed to his humor, grim though it was. It came out when the stray man spoke. You've been guessing just now about shooting people in the back, saying that I've been thinking of doing it but I reckon you ain't thought a lot about the way you're intending to put me out of business. I was wondering if it made any difference, shooting a man in the back or shooting him when he ain't got any guns. I expect a man that's shot when he ain't got guns would be just as dead as a man that's shot in the back, wouldn't he? He laughed again, his eyes gleaming in the dim light. That's the reason I ain't scared a heap, he said. For what I know about you... You ain't the man to shoot another without giving him a chance. And you're giving me a chance to talk. Ain't going to do any praying. I reckon that's right. Radford shifted his feet uneasily. He could not have told at that moment whether or not he had intended to murder Ferguson. He had waylaid him with that intention, utterly forgetful that by shooting the stray man, he would be committing the very crime which he had accused Ferguson of contemplating, The muzzle of his weapon drooped uncertainly. Talk quick, he said shortly. Ferguson grinned. I'm taking my time, he returned. There ain't any use of being in such an awful hurry. Time don't amount to much when a man is talking for his life. I ain't asking who told you what you said about me. I got a pretty clear idea who it was. I had to tell a man pretty plain that my age has got its growth and I don't think that man is admiring me much for being told, but if he wanted to have me put out of business, he's going to do the job himself. Ben Radford ain't doing it. While he had been talking, he had contrived to throw the left side of his vest open, and his right hand was exposed in the dim light, a heavy six-shooter gleaming forebodingly in it. His arms were still crossed, but as he talked, he had turned a very little, and now the muzzle of the weapon was at a level, trained fairly upon Radford's breast. And then came Ferguson's voice again, quiet, cold, incisive. If there's going to be any shooting, Ben, there'll be two of us doing it. Don't be afraid you'll beat me to it. And he stared grimly over the short space that separated them. For a full minute, neither man moved a muscle. Silence, a premonitory silence, fell over them as they stood, each with a steady finger dragging uncertainly upon the trigger of his weapon. An owl hooted in the cottonwood nearby. Other noises of the night reached their ears. Unaware of this crisis, Mustard grazed unconcernedly at a distance. Then Radford's weapon wavered a little and dropped to his side. "'This game is too certain,' he said. Ferguson laughed, and his six-shooter disappeared as mysteriously as it had appeared. I thought I'd be able to make you see the point, he said. You don't always pay to be in too much of a hurry to do a thing, he continued gravely. I reckon I approve that someone's been lying about me. If I'd wanted to shoot you, I could have done it quite a spell ago. I had you covered just as soon as I crossed my arms. You'd never knowed about it. That I didn't shoot proves that whoever told you I was after you has been romancing. He laughed. And now I'm telling you another thing that I was going to tell you about tomorrow. Maybe you'll want to shoot me for that. But if you do, I expect you'll have a woman to fight. Me and Marius found that we're in one mind about a thing. We're going to hook up into a double harness. I reckon when I'm your brother-in-law, you won't be so worried about shooting me. Radford's astonishment showed for a moment in his eyes as his gaze met the stray man's; then they drooped guiltily. "Well, I'm a damn fool," he said finally. "I might have known that Mary wouldn't get a foul of any man who was thinking of doing dirt to me." He suddenly extended a hand. "You shaken?" he said. Ferguson took the hand, gripping it tightly. Neither man spoke. Then Radford suddenly unclasped his hand and turned, striding rapidly up the trail toward the cabin. For a moment, Ferguson stood, looking after him with narrowed, friendly eyes. Then he walked to Mustard, threw the bridle rein over the pommel of the saddle, mounted, and was off at a rapid lope toward the two-diamond. End of chapter 18